The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is one of the top matchmakers in the game, Golden Boy's Robert Diaz. We discussed how Robert got into the sport through a chance meeting with one of his favorite fighters, Marco Antonio Barrera, and how Eric Gomez drafted him to be a matchmaker for Golden Boy out of necessity. Uh, We got into how Robert learned matchmaking on the job and what a typical day in the life of a matchmaker is like. We talk about how Golden Boy has handled the COVID lockdown uh, on social media and what their plans are for uh, coming back after the lockdown is lifted. Robert broke down Golden Boy's plans for their star fighters and, and, and prospects on their roster, including Canelo Alvarez, Jojo Diaz, Ryan Garcia, Virgil Ortiz, Zhu Can, and many more. Uh, it was a really great conversation. Uh, Robert's such a great guy. It was, it was excellent talking to him. Uh, hope you enjoy. It is my distinct pleasure to have on this episode the chief matchmaker at Golden Boy Promotions and one of the gentlemen of the sport, Mr. Robert Diaz. Uh, welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast, Robert. Kurt, thank you very much. Thank you for the time. Thank you for having me, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while. I um, uh, really appreciate you, you, you taking the time to speak with me. Uh, you know, obviously... First question I want to ask is just how how are you and your family doing? How are you coping with the with the lockdown uh, for the pandemic and so on? Thank you very much, um, and likewise to everybody out there, to you, your families. But uh, we're doing good. We're doing good. Um, if you would have told me, obviously before the pandemic, that we we didn't have this experience, hey, you're going to be locked up in your house. It's been close to sixty days now. Um, I would have said you're crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll go nuts. Right. But um, obviously, because of the situation and and the risks involved and everything, it it hasn't been difficult. In fact, uh, you know, in in our business in boxing, we're always traveling up and down, and 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 we seem to forget a lot of the the important things in life, and which is sometimes family. You know, you don't give them enough time, and then you miss out on certain things. That right now playing catch up has been great, you know, um, and, and finding things out like, uh, I'm not a handyman. I mean, when there's things <laughs> to be done here in the house, it's, it's like easier to pick up the phone and call a handyman and say, Hey, come over and fix this and just give me the bill. <clears throat> but with so much time on my hands, I found out that, Hey, uh, I can use that, you know, that little power drill here and there and got some little projects done here in the house. So it's been, it's been fun. It's been you know, obviously anxious to, to get back to what we love and do and, and that's provide and do fights and, 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 and see these kids progress and, and become world champions, but uh taking it slow day by day, like they say, round by round Absolutely. until we get through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well listen, let's get into your background a little bit. So where are you uh, where are you from originally? I was born in San Francisco, raised in California. Uh, I lived in San Diego so from southern northern california southern california and i've been in la um lived in mexico for many years uh obviously my, my both my parents uh were born in mexico i'm first generation here and 
but lived in California, so outside of Mexico, Yucatan, in, in Mexico City, uh, it's been California. Interesting, interesting. So, uh, growing up, were you a big sports fan? Were you a big boxing fan? Uh, tell me about uh, growing up. In, in, I mean, did you grow up in San Fran, or where'd you grow up? I, I was I grew up in San Francisco up till I was sixteen, and then I moved to Mexico uh, and lived there till I was like twenty, twenty one. Um, love sports, love baseball to play. I, I, I love baseball. Mm. Um, watching, I love football. Obviously, uh, during that time, um, my favorite team, the Forty ers had a tremendous, you know, uh, run with the starting the eighties with with Montana right. and Rice moving on to Young. Um, watch basketball a little bit, not not too much, but definitely grew up and, and watching and idolizing the magic Johnson and the Lakers, even though I lived in Northern California at the time. Um, but boxing, boxing was another level boxing. Uh, my dad took me to my first few fights. Um, and then all the big fights watching them at home on the weekends with family and friends, it, it became not just the event, but it was a gathering and it was something bigger than, than just watching a sport and I fell in love with it. I think my first couple fights that I watched, uh, whether it was TV or, or in person, just something became of it. And uh, today, to this day, it's a dream come true to to go from, you know, loving a sport to actually be working with some of the greatest athletes to ever step in the ring. And and it's been it's been so real. You know, it's it's, it's incredible. Ah, it's great. No, absolutely, absolutely. I hear you on that. Working with uh, working with great fighters, it's just nothing like it. So, how, I mean, how did you uh, how did you come to be involved in in boxing? How did you first get involved? It's it's a crazy story, Kurt, and it's in and it's like one out of a, a dream. I mean, a lot of times you meet people that are in boxing because you know my dad was a promoter, or my my dad was a trainer, and I'm a trainer now, or. I'm a fighter. So now I'm, I'm in the business part or somehow, you know, but my dad was just a very passionate fan. Didn't really know anybody in the business. Um, so I didn't meet anybody in the business. Uh, I bumped into a fighter that I was, you know, at the time idolized and, and was following his career. I bumped into that fighter in a mall. Mm. And as any fan, you know, my first reaction is I want to get a picture. We didn't have, you know, at the time, cell phones with cameras. Um, so it was like, I got to get an autograph. But I was very peculiar in, you know, in in the autographs. If it was a baseball player, it had to be on a bat. It had to be on a ball. If it was a football player, it had to be on a jersey. It had to be on a ball. So when it came to boxing, um, I didn't want a napkin. I didn't want a dollar bill. I didn't want, you know, I, I wanted something boxing related to be signed. So I run all over the mall and nothing at the malls of boxing. Even in a, in a little sports shop, there was football and basketball and baseball stuff, but nothing boxing unless probably a mouthpiece. And, uh, so I approached the fighter once again at the mall. He probably thought I was, uh, stalking him. <laughs> and I said, Hey, if I, uh, if I give you my address, can you send me something? you know, signed, I'm a big fan. And he said, sure, you know, give me your address. And, you know, a couple of weeks go by and, uh, you know, right away, thing, uh, he didn't, he's not going to say nothing. He's too busy. Why would he send something? And sure enough, a pack come, a package arrives in the mail one day and it's from Marco Antonio Barrera. 
Wow. And I get a, a T-shirt and a signed autograph, uh, studio photo, and, you know, little note. And then in 99, this was probably 97, 98. In 99, he's going to fight an exhibition uh, in Indio, California. I lived at the time in San Diego. So I drive out there to watch him. And there's already talks about him fighting Morales the first time. When I get there, he's actually checking in uh, to get into the back to go into his dressing room. And I said, hey, Marco, just like any other fan would. Right. Hey, Barrera, hey, Barrera. You know, and he turned around and he goes, San Diego. <laughs> and I, I mean, that, that, that was incredible in its own because the memory, I mean, they meet so many fans and so many people. Right. And he said, come in the back. And he brought me in the back, introduced me to the team, his family, his, his you know, his, the whole team. And we hit it off. We hit it off. We became friends. Um, obviously, when he fought Morales the first fight, I lived in San Diego. So I was a fan of both. Right. But I was a bigger fan of Barrera. <laughs> and Barrera had lost. Morales was undefeated. Um, I was invited to the fight, went to the fight. And that fight, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. for all of the fans that have seen it, you've seen it that was a fight that you had to be at. And that was a fight that even though I was a fan of both, when it came time to pick, I said, okay, I'm going with Barrera. And I met him and it was a little bit more intimate seeing him win when he was a huge underdog, obviously didn't get the decision. Right. That made it more real of what they suffer, what they sacrifice. Cause I was up in camp a couple of times before the fight. I saw how hard he was training. I saw how, I mean, he left Mexico, did, Big Bear, all the sacrifices, and then only to be given a bad decision. I mean, not be given the victory. You start saying, wow, this is what they go through. I mean, you had seen it on TV, but you didn't feel, right. you know, the pain and suffering. So now up close yeah, brought it to like, wow, you know, this is not fair. And I remember him saying in the interviews, I would have preferred to get knocked out. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, that would have been better than getting robbed and, but then seeing the love of all the fans, even fans Morales that night after he came down from his room and we were going to go eat dinner. And so many fans came and I knew a lot of them because I lived in San Diego, Chula Vista, 10 minutes away from Tijuana border. And a lot of them were coming up and said, Hey, this tonight we came to see Morales, but tonight you're our champion. Mm, wow. Fulfilled them a little bit, even right. though he didn't walk away with the win, right. it gave him that satisfaction that the fans did give him the love. And that showed me, you know, Hey, with when it's true boxing fans, uh, they're going to support you regardless. Right. And, and, and it, we were coincidentally funny. We were a week later in Tijuana celebrating because I told him, come down, you know, obviously he lived in Mexico city. I said, come down to San Diego. We'll have dinner at the house and then we'll go hang out in Tijuana. And he did. And all the fans in Tijuana were, you know, Hey, Marco, can I get a picture autographs? And, wow. and obviously from there, it became a great friendship. I worked with him almost 10 years, develop a, a relationship with golden boy promotions and Eric and Oscar and everybody there. And when Marco's time basically came towards an end of calling it a career, um, I was in South Africa when Eric Gomez called me and said, Hey, uh, what are you going to do? And I had a couple of young fighters that were, you know, signed a golden boy and a couple that weren't, but you know, obviously I was very fortunate to have met Barrera, get into his team and, and be with a fighter that was at the top. So I learned a lot. I learned, I mean, I, I graduated quickly there. Um, 
negotiated a lot, a lot of his fights with Golden Boy um, during his time there. And when Eric called me and said, we'd like to offer you a job, I at the time I was living in Sacramento, and I was like, doing what? He says, matchmaking and helping me sign new talent. You know, Golden Boy's growing, and, and, and I need help. I can't do it alone. And it's been 13 years. Um, I, I wake up sometimes saying, what did I do? I, I see the gray now, and I'm like, <laughs> man, I've aged so quick with boxing. Uh, you know, I should have I listened to my dad. I should have gone to school and become a doctor. But uh, <laughs> if I had to repeat it again, I'd do it all over, man. I love boxing, and obviously there's a passion. And, and more than anything, it's a dream come true. As a, the little kid who... You know, he used to want to get into press conferences and take pictures and the, go to fights on his own sometimes just to see some of these heroes and everything to today be working with the Bernard Hopkins and the Morales, the Barrera, and, and you know, all the big names that, that have gone through Golden Boy. And it's incredible. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you know, if you've been there for 13 years, the last 13 years have been, you know, an absolute, you know, roller coaster, wild ride, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, Golden Boy's taken off as, as a business and as, you know, one of the top promoters in the game. Um, that's interesting. So, you know, so you, you kind of get thrown into this, you, you, you go from being advisor and then a manager, and, and, and now you're kind of thrown in as a matchmaker, uh, Talk about, uh, you know, kind of learning on the job as, as a matchmaker. And, and also, too, uh, a lot of people listening to the podcast, they, you know, they, they like to hear about the business and just kind of what, what different positions do in the business and, and so on. So just um, how was it, uh, you know, learning on the job to be a matchmaker? And what is a typical day like in the, in, in the life of a matchmaker? Excellent. Absolutely. Um well, there wasn't a training. I mean, for the fans out there to listen, there wasn't a school to say, hey, here, go take a two-week two course, and, you know, you start after. Um, it was it was great because the opportunity, I, I moved. I remember uh, Eric calling me. I'm in South Africa with a, with a fighter fighting out there, Manuel Medina. And he says, hey, I want to offer you a job. So I come back, and I tell my wife, and I said, look, uh, you guys stay here. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if I'm going to be able to work nine to five again. Um, let's see what happens. So I rent out a little apartment here in LA and I go to work. I start like in January, first week of January. Mm. Well, January at the end of January, Eric comes up to me and says, Hey, we lost the co-main event uh, to this Tele Futura fight. Here's the budget. See what you can make. <laughs> and I'm like, but, uh, do you have any ideas? Who do I call? What are you looking for? <laughs> Again, I mean, I had idea of matching when I was with Barrera. He had a few fighters, um, you know, uh, obviously negotiating Barrera's fights, um, you know, the styles and everything. But it was like, okay, uh, let me <laughs> go ahead and see what I can do. And I made a fight. I mean, I was my first fight. It was a co-main event TV fight. Um, it was in Boston. I believe it was early, late January or early February. And it was a kid from New York, Puerto Rican descent, named Jeffrey Resto. I used to co-manage Resto. I used to co-manage Are you him. serious? Yeah, for a couple of years. Wow. I, had him. I, I brought him to DeBella. Yeah, I had him when he was with DeBella. Yeah, I had Jeff Resto. Wow, what well. a coincidence. <laughs> great kid, yeah, great, great kid. kid. Super kid, yeah. So the guy that was calling me... Um, was from, I think, Chicago, Ernie. 
Ernie was calling me all the time. Hey, if there's a fight out there, you know, let me know. I'm working with this kid named Jeffrey Resto. This is before I worked with um, Golden Boy. So he would call me and I had this relationship with him that now when I have to make this fight, I'm like, all right, let me call this Jeffrey Resto kid. He had a good record, uh, young kid, excited. I said, okay. So I matched him with a kid from Tijuana whose manager was also calling me. Hey, if you ever want to work with us. And then, so I did the fight. It was an eight rounder. Uh, I was nervous. I was nervous because I said, man, you know, this could be make or break. If this is a, a flop and you never know as, as matchmaking, right. you might think these are the best fights. It's going to guarantee. And for whatever reason, their styles don't mesh on that night. And people could start booing and throwing things. They could have been like, <laughs> okay, Robert, you know what? On second thought, uh, you could go back to Sacramento. So very fortunate. Their styles mix, mixed up very well. And there was actually a right, uh, a report on the paper the next day saying this is what matchmaking is all about. <laughs> and that nice. gave me so much encouragement, <laughs> man. That gave me so much encouragement because it was like, okay, okay, you know what? This is amazing. My first fight ever. Uh, and, and it was a TV fight. It went to eight rounds. It was a split decision. So it was very close. Referee was never even involved they went toe to toe the uh, kid's name was umberto tapia from tijuana right, right. um so it, it was a, a very good fight so i was just like okay i got lucky beginner's <laughs> luck beginner's <laughs> luck but i took it and obviously uh ran with it and, and and just how that was i mean good thing the first one gave me that hope because if the first one would have been the the dead one you know the the, the downer one it might have been the end but, uh, you know, with that, obviously, in the 13 years, there's been fights that didn't live to the expectation, and I, I take full responsibility. But then there's been fights that have been great, and, and I loved it. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, that's what makes matchmaking so fun and interesting is there's not a day that goes by that's the same. Every day there could be something different, whether it's good or bad. Um, I have my phone on 24 hours mm -hmm. because you're making fights from all over the world, and sometimes the fighter, even though the fights are here, um, your fighter might be coming from a different part of the country or the world. And they might contact you because they missed a flight. They might contact you because they're pulling out. They might contact you for many reasons. So my phone just got used to being on, especially also when I came out here. Uh, I was out here almost eight months without my family. I mean, I'd go back and forth, but I always had the phone on in case they had to reach me. It was always mm -hmm. a cell phone. I never got a a house phone because I was in an apartment. So it became a habit. Obviously I have it on vibrate, so I don't hear the ringer all the time, but uh, I, I became very used to having the phone on. So with that, the tough part is fight week, everything's going smooth. I mean, you can make a fight two months ahead and feel like, great, my whole card's done for you know two months. I learned quickly that that's great, but until they're in the ring, the fight's not done, <laughs> right. you know, because you could do them two months ahead. The whole card's done and come fight week. You lost one guy because he didn't get on the plane. You lost another guy because his medicals uh, didn't go through. You know, you lost another guy because he came in ten, not 10 pounds over. Right. So right. all of a sudden on fight week, there's chaos and you're calling everybody. Hey, you're ready to fight. You're ready to fight. You want to take a fight. So it's not over until the bell rings and they start round one. At right. that point, it's like, okay, it's both, it's on you guys now. 
So that, you know, and, and, and it happened right now with the pandemic. Who would have ever thought? Right. I was I, January, February, March, April, and almost May fights were done. Mm. And when I say done, signed, approved, uh, contract signed on both sides, we had cards all the way. And I was so proud because come February, I'm like, it's going to be cruise control. I'm going to lose one fight of the card. I'm going to lose another fight. Okay. That's just, you know, you start working on that, but it was looking very good. I mean, there was a couple fights on the Canelo undercard that had to be made still, but it looked all the way through May when obviously we had to cancel the March uh, 19, March 28, April 25th. I mean, there was, you know, when, when the pandemic came and uh, we had to cancel all these fights. It was like, okay, see, until that bell rings, you never know. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I think another thing people don't really <clears throat> appreciate about matchmakers is when you're making these fights, you got to negotiate with both sides because it's, it's not a given that, that the guy who's on your roster is going to take the fight or wants the fight or wants it for this much money, wants it at this weight. So you got to satisfy like both parties you know, you know, get them both to agree to a weight, to, to money, to, you know, where the fight's going to be. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's headaches. <laughs> I can imagine. There's, there's a lot. I mean, that's something the fans, you know, I read all the time and I listen to a lot of the fans. I mean, I, I'd like to get on these, um, you know, on the internet and listen to what they're writing and saying and, and always invite, you know, their suggestions because some of the best matchmakers are fans, obviously from knowing boxing, but they unfortunately haven't seen the other side which is the business side right. and you know I, I hear suggestions and yes some of the suggestions is easy as that yes this fight would be definitely a great fight however there's management there's trainers there's spouses there's fathers there's so many obstacles in making that fight at times because it's not just the fighter most of the time the fighter is going to say how much when and yes, <laughs> but you know, there's the other obstacles. I, I mean, you've, I've heard it. Uh, yeah. My wife doesn't want me to fight that guy. Right. Like what? Right. I'm sure if you fight him and, and win or, or after the pay, you can take her on a cruise or, or take her on vacation. <laughs> She'll be happy. Yeah. But she doesn't want me to fight him. <laughs> or, you know, my dad says, no, not now. In, in maybe in about five years when it's a good pay-per-view fight. You hear it all the time, so it's not as easy. And then when it is, yes, I'll fight him or her, but I walk first, and I got to get paid this, and they right. better get paid less. And right. you know, all, the, it's, it's all those ego. details, it's a lot of ego, right? And and you have to be on top of all that, and like get everybody to. You have to. Yeah. You have to. And there's been times <laughs> where those fights that are so natural, you know, it's like, oh, God, I, I can't make it right now. I remember a fight that comes to mind that I made four times before it actually happened. And it was a fight that from the get-go I wanted to make because I thought, man, this is going to be a good fight. They're just going to scrap and go toe-to-toe. And I made it. Jesus Soto Caras against Yoshihiro Kamagai. Oh, yeah. That was unbelievable. And then I had to break the fight because Soto Caras got an offer to fight Thurman. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, how do I tell Kamagai now? Hey, and, and Mr. Honda and his, his side, the guys, you know, he got a bigger offer. I'm sorry. Hope that you understand. Because at times, yeah, it, when time goes by, they understand and this and that. But at the time, it's like, no, you promised me. I thought we had a fight. Right. And 
Second time I, I tried to do it and it didn't happen. Third time I tried to do it, it didn't happen. At that point, it was like, you know what? It's not meant to be. Forget it. Right. And I went back and I said, let's do it. Um, did it at the Belasco, a very small venue in downtown LA, theater, old theater. Didn't fit a lot. We sold out. We had to sell in a different uh, room of the Belasco. We sold to view it on a monitor. Right. And people wanted to buy even more and we couldn't fit in more people. And it was a war. Yes, absolutely. And it was a draw. It was a draw. <laughs> and HBO picked it up the second time. They were able to get paid more. So I was very happy. I, you know, we were able to do both fights and, and it was a fight that I said, okay, it, it lived to expectations, you know? Right. And, and those aren't, you know, for those guys to get an HBO payday, I mean, those weren't like superstar, you know, uh, you know, former Olympian type fighters, you know, those, those were guys. <laughs> exactly. Who, they were both opponents. They were both right. like B-sides, you know, right. and, and, but sometimes, and that's another thing that the industry has gone away from and, and focused so much on the records. Right. You know, oh, if he's undefeated, he definitely, ah, you know what, let's go back to the eighties. Right. When fighters fought at each other, fought the best, some won, some lost, but the fans always wanted to see them, you know, and, and, and you want, I mean, I still remember the, the fabulous four. I mean, Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, Duran, they all lost, but they all fought each other. Right, 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 right. Now, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I, I asked this, I had Eric Botcher on the show, a uh, great matchmaker for, uh, for match. Yeah, yeah, good friend. Good friend. Great guy, yeah. Many other places. And, and I asked him what his, his matchmaking uh, philosophy was, you know, because I've, you know, I've been in the sport since, since the mid-90s and, and talked to a lot of matchmakers and, you know, some have, you know, have different philosophies. Some say, well, I like to do tough fight, easy fight with my prospects. Others kind of like to, to keep guys unbeaten and, you know, just kind of, you know, put them in with different styles, but, you know, keep them kind of clean, uh, you know, until they get to the big payday. I know, you know, a lot of people were giving Golden Boy some 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 guff for, uh, you know, getting their unbeaten guys like knocked off, like, you know, Quigley and, you know, Chimpa Gonzalez, Diego De La Hoya and all that. But I mean, you know, when when you're when you're tasked with uh, with taking the Golden Boy prospects and moving them along, like what is your philosophy and, and what are you looking for like from fight to fight as, as you're matching them? So before I started with Golden Boy, you know, when I got the call, I, I told Eric, let me get back to you. I'll, 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 let me think about it. Kept thinking, okay, what is it that I want to accomplish? This is a dream come true, obviously, and, and I want to do it and I want to accept the job. But what is it that I want to accomplish? Obviously, I don't want to make pretty records. I don't want to be known for pretty records. Right. I want to make champions. And if that champion makes it to become a world champion at 18 and two, I'll take that over the 18 and all who didn't fight anybody. 18 and all 18 knockouts goes and fights for the world title and gets blown out right. because through the 18 fights was never built. So yeah, I remember getting a lot of heat and, and especially from some from media and I'm thinking, right. Do you really not realize this? Yes, this guy lost, but he lost to a goal. Because it was like, oh, his his job might be in danger. You know, he, all of the prospects are getting beat. Yeah, but they're getting beat by Golden Boy fighters at the same time. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know, and, and not that that makes it better or different. It's like, yeah, they're being matched tough. But I, it also shows that a loss 
is not the end of a career. And and what I mean is Diego de la Hoya against Ronnie Rios. First of all, that was Going a great in, fight. Great fight, by the way. And, anyway. <laughs> and it was a fight that was gonna be fun for LA. Everybody right. knew he, you know, both names. Diego needed to beat a Ronnie Rios in order to take it to that next level and become a world champion. And Ronnie, his back was against the wall. He had just been knocked out by Azat Hovanesian maybe two fights before. So it was uh, up. It was really a make or break for Ronnie. But because Ronnie took off, I think almost a year, that hunger came back. The rest came back. He actually started doing real estate and probably said, you know what? I don't like this. I want to go back into... <laughs> But he was able to charge the batteries and came back better than ever. Here's a kid that had been beat two or three times, and it was like his career's over. He's done. I really think Ronnie will win the world title if he's to fight Omar Figueroa next. I really do. Right. Because his mentality has changed. Diego lost to Ronnie. He was right back in the gym a few weeks later working harder than ever, wanting to prove to everybody that was just a bad night. So if that lit a fire in order to get this kid not so comfortable, because that's what happens. They get comfortable. I'm not going to run today. I'm not going to this. I'm not going to that. They get shocked. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. And as far as, you know, with Quigley, got to give it to Toriano Johnson. Right. I mean, uh, all the writing on the wall was this was going to be Quigley's fight to look amazing. Right. But somebody forgot to tell Toriano that because, <laughs> you know, Toriano had just had a draw with, uh, a tough, tough Mexican kid, Castaneda, where it could have gone to Castaneda. Right. And Quigley, you know, obviously had a very bad injury in his fight with Glenn Tapia, but had come back already and was looking good. And it was like, okay. But what people don't understand is it's, I want to make fights that are going to be, if Quigley was to win a Toriano, okay, now you're going up to you know to fight a Murata. You're going up to fight for a world title next or somebody in an eliminator. But if you can't beat a Toriano at this age, at this point, then we got to slow down. Right. And Toriano that night, I don't think nobody was going to beat him. I mean, <laughs> I remember, I think I was in Mexico watching the fight on, on the monitor, and I'm thinking, stop the fight, stop the fight. There's no sense in keep getting hurt. And and save it for another day. And I was very happy, you know, with, with Ingo when he stopped the fight because it was like, I don't want to see Quigley hurt. Right. And I called Golden Boy staff and I said, make sure he goes to the hospital. I called Toriano, congratulations, you, you looked amazing. Uh, whatever you did, keep it up because obviously his, his train fan is short. I want to get him into the biggest fight possible after that. Right, right, absolutely. Absolutely. But those are the fights that, you know, fortunately, I, I work for somebody who did it, somebody who fought everybody, right? and somebody who demands, uh, I want to see good fights. Right, right. And well, not somebody who's coming to me and saying, why did he lose? Why did I mean, th think of it. His cousin lost. Right. <laughs> I, I, would, I would have been hiding under the yeah, ring that night. I was going to say, you had to be a little bit nervous when that happened. <laughs> 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 no, but I love, I love what the sport does, and that's what the fans need to understand, that a loss doesn't do, it's not the end of a career. I mean, it could be, right. but that depends on the fighter. Look at Rene Alvarado. Here's a kid who lost six times. Yeah. Six times. He was 0-6 when he came to the U.S. You know, he lost 
uh, to Rocky Juarez. He lost to Eric Hunter. He lost to Andrew Cancio. He lost to Jojo Avila. I mean, here's a kid that was should have said, you know what? I quit. <laughs> I quit. Right. But he kept working and working and working and working. Comes in in the rematch, wins the world title. He's a world champion today. Yeah, he was a beast in that fight too. Yeah, he was that day, it, and it, it, he knew he had touched bottom and, and realized, you know what, this is my opportunity. That day, it was you know you hear the, the excuses after and it canceled, and I respect that. Right. But right. I think that day nobody was going to beat Alvarado. He was just like on a mission. Right. Right. No doubt about it. Well, listen, yeah, I mean, people people can criticize and all that, but yeah, for sure. I mean, Golden Boy, I mean, you've done some 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 great fights. I mean, I, I made a list, you know, I kind of had a running list last year of, like, fight of the year candidates. Thank and, you. And uh, and Golden Boy had, you know, I mean, Kanju and, and Jesus Rojas was an unbelievable wow. fight. Uh, Angel Lacosta and Elwin Soto was a great fight. You know, Ronnie, Ronnie Rios, Diego De La Hoya was a, was a slam-bang fight as long as it went. I mean, uh, you know, Sinisa um, Estrada and Marlon Esparza. And Marlon. Shit, was that a good fight. On, on that, was, that was so exciting <laughs> in the first round. I mean, you know, you, you're expecting good fights underneath the main event. But right. when that bell rings and they both just start in the center ring throwing punches, I remember – all of us looking at each other like, "Holy shit, this is going to be the fight of the night!" <laughs> yeah, that was that was intense, and and you know, Kanju Manny Robles was great, and uh, you know, you guys had Patrick Teixeira in there with uh, Carlos Adamas is another one. Carlos Adamas, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like you know, six fights, you know, not you know, not not none of them were like the marquee fights of the night. Maybe I mean Rios, I forget if Rios De La Hoya was the main event or not, but. Um, but, no, um, it wasn't the main event. I'm trying to think. I can't remember who was who was on top of that card. Roger, and that night, and that night, you had another upset. Roger uh, Gutierrez knocked out Eduardo Hernandez, Rocky Hernandez from Mexico. Right, that's right. Rocky in the first Hernandez, round. That's right. That was a huge. Upset, so there was yeah. two two big losses that night. <laughs> uh, who was the main event? I don't remember who. Ryan Garcia. Oh, that's Ryan right. Garcia against Jason Velez. That's right. That's right. That's right. And even that, that was one his was, first headline. Yeah, that you know, Ryan. Ryan didn't have an easy time that night either. So. And, and and that was exactly it. You know, it was like okay, you know, I, I knew Jason Velez uh, because we promoted him with Cotto. He was a tough kid. Wouldn't get knocked out. If Ryan could knock him out, wow. But if Ryan couldn't knock him out, he was going to get valuable experience. Right. And. Just thought he might be, he, he, you know, safe enough where I thought the speed would make the difference. And he, okay, he didn't knock him out. It was a tough fight, but Ryan learned a lot about himself too that night, and he grew. And that that is key because that's more valuable than any knockout you can get in the first round. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to Ryan. We we got a section of that for Ryan because I I think what's going on with him is 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 really interesting. But uh, but let's uh, I wanted I wanted to just talk about um. At, at, you know, while we're on lockdown here, what what Golden Boy has been doing to to keep the fans engaged? Talk about talk about some of that. Well, a lot of it right now that we can do is obviously through the social media, through Facebook, through Instagram, is providing classic fights on Facebook, on the zone, uh, providing updates on on some of these young fighters with interviews, and you know, we had them. Uh, do videos of let's stay home and everybody stay safe and do workouts and, and let's knock out COVID, 
19 together and just a, a little variety just to keep them engaged as well. The fighters and in the public eye, but also sending the message that, Hey, I'm training, I'm working. We've been reaching out to the fighters and say, look, as safe as you can during your, you know, lockdown at home or whatever you can just stay ready. Obviously you can't spar right now, but stay ready because once we're green lighted, once we're told it's time to get back, those who were working out, semi working out or, you know, working out at home and they're more ready. Those are the ones that are going to be stepping in the ring first. Right. Right. Fortunately, I've been very happily surprised. They're all so anxious to get back that everybody, I mean, you got, you have so much time to watch Netflix and to do this and to hang around and relax on the couch that a lot of these guys have been training. That's a great. lot of them have been trained and they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm like only five pounds away, 10 pounds away. Something we've never seen before. Mm. 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 Even when, you know, when they're, when they're able to go out and train, it's like, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And today they're like, no, I'm working out today. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been good. That's been a positive. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, I guess, yeah, that, that, that kind of leads us to, you know, Golden Boy's uh, game plan for coming back, you know, uh, once once things get uh, get get lifted a little bit. I mean, obviously, you guys do a lot of shows in, in California, and California is like on, on lockdown right now. And, and DAZN, uh, your broadcast partner, has also kind of shut it down, uh, you know, until at least July. I mean, you know, you're seeing, you know, Top Rank says they're coming back in June, and UFC has already come back. Um, so right now, what are what are Golden Boy's plans uh, uh, for coming back? So we've been talking to several commissions all over the country and just waiting on really what the requirements are going to be. There's it's, it's new territory. It's going to be, you know, at the beginning, at least um, for the safety of the fighters and, and those working like production and, and the promotion staff and the commission, there's going to have to be additional testing for them and then probably quarantined. But we are talking to commissions. I mean, one of the targeted dates that, you know, Oscar thought of, and it's a great idea is, hey, what better day to start, you know, than 4th of July, mm. Uh, uh, mm. you know, celebration with, with giving back to the fans, giving them good fights and, you know, who better with, and let's try to get Ryan in there for 4th of July. So waiting on commissions, we've talked to several all over the country, and they're just waiting to see what they're going to implement as far as, um, the testing and how it's going to be done, what the protocol is going to be, and also waiting for the zone to to make the decision that they want to go as early as July. Um, there's been mentioned that possibly later, but you know we're working on it. Hopefully, the sooner the better, because I think uh, you know as long as it's safe and yes, probably the first maybe to the end of the year, it's going to be behind closed doors. Right. Um, but it's just something new. We have to adapt. We have to adjust and hopefully, you know, sooner than later, we can go back to normal and then the big attendance and then the fans back into the fights. But for the safety right now, I think that's probably going to be the norm. Right, right. And I guess, too, you kind of get the benefit of, you know, having seen the, the UFC do it and having seen Top Rank do it. You can kind of see, you know, what, what things they did right, what things they did wrong. So, um, you know, Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's not a race. When right. it comes to something like this, it's not a race. Right, and, right. and look, I'm, I'm glad that I, I invite, you know, I love the idea of competition and, and, and let's match our best against your best. And, you know, right now we're working with top rank on a couple of fights that are possibly going to get done. So, 
you know, as long as it's good for the sport, hey, let's go, let's go. It's not a matter of we have to be first or we can't be second. And uh, you know what? Let's just do it right when the right. timing's right and when right. it's safe for everybody. And then let's just get on with it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, especially, yeah, with, with, I mean, I'm in New York, so, you know, it's, it's, it's been crazy here. So you guys had it very tough. Yeah. Very, very tough. Right. So yeah, what you definitely, the emphasis on doing it right, you know, you don't want anyone to get sick or, or, you know, God forbid, uh, pass, you know, with, with, with this. So, uh, you know, definitely, uh, all, all due precautions, uh, don't need to be taken but i was i was wondering though it, do you guys still have um the the deal with facebook are you guys still doing cards for facebook yeah in fact uh prior prior to the pandemic uh in i believe it was february um we had a show in mexico in peral chihuahua mexico and we had three of our top mexican prospects uh on there from peral chihuahua oscar duarte and then Luis Hernandez, a 140-pounder. And then William Cepeda, another 135-pounder. Um, but that was our first of this year. And obviously, uh, the only one we did so far. But yes, we, we did. Last year, we did a couple in Mexico as well. Facebook wanted to really push hard with the Mexican market. Mm. So we did a few in Mexico. I think there was a couple in Mexicali. Diego fought on one, actually broke his hand. Uh, I did countries with Facebook and, and it engaged a lot of the fans and, and it brought more. It was Mexico against Venezuela. I believe it was Mexico against Colombia, this last one that we did. So it, it, it instead of fighter A versus fighter B, we made it like countries against countries and it was four fighters from each country. Oh, that's great. That's great. Almost like a team, a team sport. <laughs> exactly. And, and it actually gave the fighters who normally, hey, good luck, good luck. Right. Um, more of a camaraderie of, of hey, you know what? Uh, I actually, I, I staged it different. Um, we walked out the fighters. For instance, the first fight out of the four principal fights, um, all three of the other fighters walked into the ring carrying the, the flag of their country. Mm. Then the opponents, all three walked in with their flag. And then the walkout for the fight that's going on. But now you have all four fighters in the corners. And then we went with national anthems. And then once it was over, the three fighters that haven't fought go back to the dressing room. So it was more of like that amateur type program right, or right. more of that, you know, that's but it, it, it was confusing for the fighters. Who were like, we're doing the dressing. Yes. Come out with your trunks, come out with your wraps. Don't come out with gloves, but you're going to, but once we did it the first time, they really got in, into it, and the second time was much smoother. They they remembered a couple of them were on the first show, and and it made it really different. It made it fun, and that's what it's about—the entertainment. Absolutely, absolutely. So, with the, I mean, one of the things I enjoyed too that that Golden Boy is doing is you're doing um, shows during the week. You have the Thursday night series, you know, so that you know all of boxing isn't crowded onto Saturday nights. Um, uh, is now is that is that series is that tied to the zone because i know it's syndicated on um i mean i see it on uh, madison square garden network here in new york um and i know there's different networks all across the country that get it but is that tied to the zone um or is that something you could do independent of the 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 zone deal the thursday night fights it started on regular networks throughout the country right 
and then the zone has picked it up for more content uh and because they obviously they see the value what 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 it's intended for is obviously going on thursdays so that it doesn't clutter up saturday the weekends everybody fight uh little by little it started growing because at first it was like who are they what are they you know what's going on on thursdays but if you remember, we had boxing on Tuesdays on USA Network years oh, of ago. Of course, so, yes. So it changes. In fact, I was talking years ago to uh, Michael Buffer, and he said, Robert, you know, Mondays would be great. <laughs> Mondays. I said, never thought of that. Nah, not Monday. But everybody's home. <laughs> everybody's home on Monday or during the week. So I said, you know what? You have something. During the weekend now, there's a wedding, there's the birthday, there's a baseball game, the kids, this, this. So it takes away a little bit, but Monday, everybody should be home most of the time, you know? Right. So it's like during the week, does it works. And this is proof. It's, it's been getting really good reviews. It's been growing every time. And the whole purpose is these kids that still are not known. It's, it's like that here, go get your experience, go get known. And if you progress, Hey, you make it up to the zone. You make it up to that next league, that next step. But when you get there, the crowd knows you. The fans know you. So it's just that step before the bigger fights. No, and that's great too because if if they're just fighting on the zone, they're generally even if they're in like a, a tough matchup that you might put them on on a Thursday night. You know, they're fighting like the third or fourth fight down the card. You know, exactly. With, with this, they get that experience of walking out as the main event of being you know the main guy in that big fight. You know, on on, on a televised fight. So by the you know they they get past that level. They're not so shell-shocked if they get thrown into a big fight on a DAZN or another network. So I think it's very valuable to have like a almost like a two-tier process, you know, where you have – Exactly. Know, you, know, uh, you know, build these guys step by step. So no, I, I – love- and, and, and a good example was our March 19th card. I was so excited by that card when it came together. We had Joette Gonzalez, right. Lamont Roach Jr., and Marlene Esparza. Now, what do they have in common? It was main, co-main, and the opener. Those were the three fights for TV on the Thursday, March 19th show. They all fought for the world title right. in their previous fight, came up short. Right. But now all three were coming back as like, you know, the the, the, on our, the road back to the title or, you know, the redemption. And all three of them were going to be back on TV in a fight, not on the zone, but... Hey, still tough fights that you're supposed to win so that we can move on forward into bigger fights. Right, and you don't disappear. You keep your visibility, you know, and mm-hmm. you keep your mm-hmm. career. Because they were all in competitive. I mean, you know, they all went to distance. It's not like n- neither of the three had got blown out in one or two rounds. Right. They all went to distance. They all lost their first fight as a pro. Right. But in world title fights. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have a question for you too. I, I, I gave this question to uh, Stephen Espinoza as well when I when I talked to him. But you know, I know each each network kind of has like a yearly budget for their shows, and you know, obviously, DAZN has a, has a budget for for Golden Boy, and usually those things have to get used up year by year. So I was just wondering, once Golden Boy comes back, is it going to be kind of rapid fire with a with a ton of shows to kind of use up the budget, or, or are you guys going to kind of take it? Just, you know, uh, just see how it goes, you know, coming back with all the, the restrictions and, and, you know, all the ho- hoops you're going to have to jump through to do shows uh, uh, post-COVID. Well, one thing that we've been talking that Oscar and Eric and I have been talking and with The Zone and everything is 
depending on when we come back and when we start, is mega events. Mega mm. events. You mm. know, give those fans that have been waiting and, and and patiently waiting through all this and have had, you know, the the ones that have had some very tough times with either family members or anything, give them something to look forward to, something positive out there if they love boxing and watch boxing is give them Super Bowls, you know, give them some very good fights. And, mm. and that's the goal. That's obviously the goal to, to try to put it on. And I think a lot of it will change with this. I think a lot of the fighters are going to be more open to, you know what, forget that tune-up. Let's right. just go. Let's just go. And you see it right now with through social media <laughs> with, with everybody calling each other out. These guys are starting to, you know, they're, 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 they've been locked down. And it's like, <laughs> I can't wait to get out, get in that ring and fight whoever now. So I like it. I like it. I mean, if there's something positive that comes out of all this is like, it, it could be good for the fans. It could be good for boxing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, of course, since I have you on, we have to talk about uh, you know the, the the biggest, brightest star on on, on in the sport, uh, and that's uh, Saul uh, Canelo Alvarez. So, so what's going on with him? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, there's been a, a lot of stuff in the press about you know things being a little cold uh, between him and Oscar, and I, I, I saw Oscar was quoted as saying things are better, but it's you know kind of more strictly business. Um, you know, and, and more chatter too, you know, I mean, there people, you know, first there was an announcement that, you know, it's going to be Canelo triple G three, and now we're here in triple G wants to get a mandatory first. So, so what's going on with the, with the Canelo and triple G, uh, front, what's, what's going on with that fight? You know, it's, it's, it's like all relationships when you're even husband and wife sometimes argue over the remote control, you know, it's, it's <laughs> after so many years, you know, it, it, it's bound to happen, a disagreement here or there, but no, things are good. Um, Saul, we, we had a call with him the other day, and he's training. Um, obviously, he's following all the regulations and everything that needs to be done, and he can't spar. Um, but he's, he's, you know, just maintaining himself fit. He always does that in general. I mean, he's always doing something. Even when there's not a fight date, he'll be in the gym just to – Stay stay loose and stay sharp. Um, I was surprised. I was surprised, Kurt, because of all this. You know, Triple G wants Canelo. Triple G wants Canelo. Triple G wants Canelo. And then when it was like, okay, oh no, but he wants to do his mandatory first. I respect that. I respect that. You know, but right. but at the same time, it's like, okay, then what was all the the fuss about? But <laughs> you know, Canelo has said, yeah, uh, I'll fight Triple G when the time comes. So it's a fight that I hope we get done. I think needs to be done because of, you know, how good the first two were and how close they were. And I think the third one will definitely put an end to it. And and, and, and it will be much clearer than the first two. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I guess I guess the big question would be if, you know, Triple G kind of, you know, decides he wants a mandatory first. What what other fights are out there for for Canelo and that uh, the zone would be interested in? What, what, what would they want to see? Who they want to see him in there with? I mean, I think that that's when you're the main guy up there as Canelo is now, right. That's what you have plenty of, you know, <laughs> there'll be a lot, especially right now with, with guys thinking maybe, you know, if this happens again, uh, I want to make sure my future is secure. Well, you know what? Step up, step up, you know, but he has several options. We're going to be discussing over the next couple of weeks and, and presenting over to, to his team and to, you know, make a decision, uh, between both sides, and then obviously getting the final blessing from the zone, so that we can get going pretty soon. 
Right, right, right. So another big fight uh, that was in the offing uh, before uh, before we all got locked down uh, was one between uh, you know the most marketable prospects and I guess you call him a contender now in the sport, Ryan Garcia, um, against uh, you know former three division champ uh, Jorge Linares, who I know you have a close relationship with. Um, yes. Where does that fight fit into the mix uh, once uh, Golden Boy gets cooking again? It's a fight that both sides won. It's a fight that I think the fans, from what I've been reading, really, really accept and, and, and are, you know, like. It's a, fi- a fight that personally, I love it. It's, it's, they're, they're very similar to each other. Right. You know, as far as the talent, the speed, the technique. But now you have youth against experience. Right. And that's, what I love about it. Bottom line is Ryan goes in there and knocks out a Jorge Linares or beats a Jorge Linares. He, and I've told this to Ryan, you're always going to have critics. I mean, they still criticize Canelo. So you're always good. That's just boxing. That's just boxing. No other sports is like that, but boxing is. And I said, we got to deal with it. However, he beats a Linares and he's done more than even world champions outside of Lomachenko, current in the division, you know? Right. If he loses to Linares, at the end of the day, he's so young right now that that experience that he picks up in that fight is going to be very valuable down the road. So these are the type of fights that I really like because you have youth against experience, but here you have two very talented fighters. You know, how many times has Linares been counted out? Right, right. All the time. I mean, years ago, years ago, I remember Richard Schaefer coming into the office. Linares lost two fights back-to-back to Antonio DeMarco and Yeo Thompson, both by knockout. Right. And, and Richard came into the office and said, release him. Mm. It, it's over. And I turned around and said, and I've known Jorge since he was 17, 18 years old. A lot of the times he was mental. And I was like, no, you're wrong. No, no, he's, he's still good. And, and watch. And now is where I come in. I have to bring him back. And, and, and it took a little bit longer with Jorge. You know, the first few fights after the back-to-back losses, you could see him punching and pulling away. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to stick around to, to get countered. Sure. But as I saw him sitting down more and more on his punches, I was confident going to the U.K. against Kevin Mitchell and Anthony Krola twice. I mean, we went three times to the U.K. Right. And came back three times with wins. And and so, you know, when we went to New York, I told everybody in the press, if there's, if Jorge doesn't win, don't call it an upset. This is not a mismatch. This is a 50-50 fight, and they wouldn't believe me. Mm. Now, I never in my wildest dreams did I think Kano would not come out in the first round. <laughs> but even like Michael Woods came up to me and said, Hey, what type, what round do you think Linares is going to knock out Kano? And I said, if there's a knockout, it's going to be Kano over Linares. He said, right. are you serious? <laughs> I said, yeah, don't count Kano out. This kid could punch. And, and Jorge, I, I give him credit. Look, he, he was struggling to make 35. He said, I want to go to 40. I said, Jorge, are you sure? He goes, yeah. I said, okay, let's go test it. After the fight in the ring, he says, Hey, we're going back to 35. I said, okay. <laughs> but I told him, don't, don't put yourself down because if you don't test it, how do you, he could have been a one division world champion. Right. You know, but, but he was always willing to take on the, that challenge that he's made it three. Who knows? It could have been four, 
but now he makes 35 with no problem. <laughs> he realizes, hey, I'll sacrifice a little bit more, but uh, I'm a 35-pounder. And he looked great against Carlos Morales, who, in his sight, gave Ryan a tough fight. Absolutely. You know, so the matchup, great. Uh, it could be the passing of the torch. It could be, hold on, it's too early for you. Right. But that's the beauty. We'll, we won't know until they step into the ring and, and get it going. Jorge is very motivated for the fight, and I know Ryan is. And Ryan has done something, and this is a few fights back, when he implemented Eddie Reynoso into his team. Yes. And that was something that you know we were working on with his team, his current team. It was like, look, he's going to need somebody else with more experience. Dad's done great, but there's certain things. Luckily, they listened. And from the first fight, the one he had in New York, that was his first fight with Eddie Reynoso. In the first round, I saw improvement. Right. Ryan wasn't pulling his head back and bending his waist. He was using his arm to put the distance, his left arm to you know push the opponent back. That was already a big improvement. And fight by fight, it's just a matter of you know two or three fights. They they get more confidence and more trust and work more together. And this kid has a very bright future. No, I thought that was a great, great move. Yeah, because Ryan just has so many tools. I mean, he's tall. He's got blazing hands. Mm -hmm. He's got one-punch power. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, there were definitely some deficiencies on the on the defensive side. And, yeah, like you said, you know, just kind of uh, you know, people could counter him, you know, pretty easy if they wanted to. His, his defense kind of con consisted of – putting his hands up and turning his body. There wasn't much else. There. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but now, you know, look, one of the things with Canelo that he doesn't get credit is his defense. Oh, his defense I mean, is amazing. He could, I mean, look how Danny Jacobs, who's a very fast fighter, Canelo made a miss. Oh. And even before that, Austin Trout, right. you know, these are fighters that are not, a Mexican is not supposed to make an American look slower or, or make a miss. Most of the time, Mexicans are in there to catch the punches and, and try to land their punch back. But, but Canelo is more of that, you know, the technique of, of, of that Eddie's put together to put the defense and put master in the counter puncher. Right, right. Yeah, you could definitely see the difference in Ryan. It was an absolutely great move to put him there. Yeah, the, the Garcia-Linares fight, I mean, I, you know, I've talked about it a couple of times already on my podcast. It's just like, it's like I just, I don't know who's going to win that one because Linares, like, you know, I'm like, Linares, you know, like Lomachenko's considered maybe the best fighter in the sport. And Jorge Linares gave him, like, I mean, he gave him, that that fight was not only dead even, but you could see just little moves that Jorge was putting on him that Lomachenko hadn't seen. You know, I mean, he really was that fight. That fight was him. so beautiful because I, I asked for that fight. I, I had been asking, you know, Jorge wanted to fight Mikey Garcia, and I said, nah, 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 Jorge, let's not go up. And this is obviously before the Cano fight. So let's forget about 140. Stay at 135. Lomachenko's making more noise. People consider him the best fighter out there. He's smaller. He's looked great against the slower fighters, Mexican fighters. I said, you're very fast. You're going to have reach. You're going to have height. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know this. And again, I mean, it's, it's one thing, you know, oh, I had a headache. I had this, I had that. It wasn't my best night, but I know he didn't have his trainer with him mm. for that fight. Right. Salas and him split in that fight. Salas went to the UK and said, let's train in the UK. And Jorge said, if I'm fighting in the States, why do I go to train in the UK? No, I'm not. And he stayed out here. His brother, Carlos, who wasn't as experienced, 
basically took the training and Capetillo, who had assisted uh, uh, Salas for many years, was you know turning out to be one of top trainers out there. But Jorge pretty much trained himself, the strategy and everything for that fight, mm. and was doing very good, Absolutely. like you said. I mean, up to the end, uh, it was a draw, and I was just thinking, shit, if we get a draw, if we get a draw, that's almost like a victory. And I don't want to sound like we were just satisfied with that, but right. it was like nobody gave him a chance to when we walked in. Oh yeah, Jorge, no, no, Lomachenko is the greatest thing on earth. Now all of a sudden he brought him down. He's he's more human than before. He dropped them, right, and was causing them problems. And it was like, but Lomachenko's a he's he's just a tremendous fighter. He's I mean, special, Jorge yeah, told me sure. when he hit him to the body the first shot, Jorge took it. Mm-hmm. But he snuck in the second one. If you remember, the 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 barrage of punches was a couple little touches up top, right? And then he sneaks the little hook underneath, and that's what got Jorge at the end, right? Now Lomachenko is a special fighter, and the fact that that Jorge was neck and neck with him, I mean, that shows you what what type of skills he has. And you know, Ryan hasn't fought anyone, you know, with, with that type of skill set. I mean, not you know, I mean, Jorge is like at one point in time he was considered the next big thing in the sport. You know, I mean, Max Kellerman absolutely couldn't, couldn't stop raving about him. So, I, I mean, that's just that's a really great matchup. I mean, I really can't tell you who's going to win that fight. I mean, I, I love that fight. I love it. And that's that's key. When when you know people in the game like yourself say it's a 50-50, I don't know, one day you might say, "Oh, Ryan, the next day no, nah, I got to give it to Lenar." Then that's a beautiful fight because it divides everybody. It's good it's and it's good for boxing. And that's what we need more of. Right now, unfortunately, um with the situation Jorge's in Japan training and the borders being closed, if that fight was to happen in the next couple months, we'd probably have to find somebody else right now because Jorge couldn't come in. Uh, that's brutal. That's brutal. Uh, and that was one you pretty much had, I would assume, if you were planning ahead, that was one you were kind of planning ahead for. So, uh, that's Yeah, yeah. It was, it was set when they both performed on February 14th and they both looked great and they both won by knockout. Uh, that was set for July. That was set for July. It was wow. it was something that we were already contemplating. Obviously, uh, talking to both teams, and both teams said, "Yeah, they wanted it." So it was like it was just a matter of time of as we got closer to start working out the announcement and contract signed and all. Mm, mm, mm. Ah, that's that's frustrating. <laughs> but uh, but I know I know they both been going back and forth on Twitter right now, and then they both been it's getting more and more every day. So it's like. I don't think they've lost sight of each other. I, I think they both know that it's coming. Mm, mm. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's hope uh, things ease up in the fall, and uh, you know we can see uh, you know all the great uh, international fighters uh, come to the states and and, and fight. Because yeah, absolutely. Be a, that would be a shame. Speaking of, I mean, I want you guys have such a great roster. I wanted to get to some uh, some other fighters. Um, Jaime Munguia uh, stepped up to middleweight. Um, you know, he's, you know, a really interesting prospect and, in you know, very never, uh, you know, not even close to being in any dull fights. I mean, the guy is just so explosive and uh, and comes to fight. Uh, what, what what did you guys kind of have uh, planned for him? And, and how do you see the like the next year or so, you know, if, if once we get going again, playing out for uh, for Jaime Munguia? You know, with Jaime, he's still so young. People forget, you know, because he's fought so many times in a short period of time world champion and all but this guy was ready to step in 
to fight Golovkin a few years ago. You know, the commission didn't approve it or, you know, whatever that before right. we had him. But he was ready to step in with Golovkin then. Right. Now I had a couple of years experience, maturity, his body's filling in more, and a tremendous Hall of Fame fighter now in his corner training him with Eric Morales. I'd love to see a Jaime Mugia Golovkin fight. I mean, that that's the kind of fights he wants. You know, our co-promoter at Sanford, Fernando Beltran, said, hey, we'll step in against Canelo. Mugia is going to give everybody hell, you know? And, and I believe it. When you have a hungry young kid, like boxing is a young man's sport. Right. You know, that that those days of, oh, you know, he needs more experience. Yes, I mean, you don't want to throw in a young kid who's in over his head. But that's what makes boxing so beautiful. Upsets. Right. You know, who, who, when Buster Douglas fought Tyson, oh, no, nah, this is just another blowout. That's what made Buster Douglas blowing out Mike Tyson. You know, those are the kind of fights that, that happen, and, and, and only in boxing can something like that happen, you know? And and you got to give, when a fighter has mental confidence, that's a big edge. And Mungia does. I mean, you know, he just, sometimes they fight at the level of opposition, and you, you won't know that until he fights that type of level. And I'd love to see him against Golovkin. I mean, that would be a hell of a fight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be a slugfest, man. Wouldn't be a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go a little rapid fire here because I don't want to keep you on the phone all day. But I mean, although I could. But uh, um, Jojo Diaz, uh, IBF junior lightweight champ. Uh, it's a loaded division. I know. I I know there was talk during the fighter in the lead up that that Tevin Farmer had a rematch clause. So uh, is that kind of what's next for uh, for Jojo once he gets going? So yes, there was a rematch clause um, in the original contract. Obviously, because Jojo wasn't a mandatory. That's common practice, and those terms are accepted. Jojo knows uh, that Tevin and his team have. Um, express the desire of, of, you know, doing that fight. Um, there's also a mandatory uh, that's been put on by the IBF. So those things have to get worked out once we um, get back rolling. Um, you know, who's first, who's second. But, you know, that was one of the greatest moments because you see a kid from early on, pro debut, a former Olympian, comes in, we sign him, and, you know, had the opportunity, became mandatory actually, to WBC and the WBO. And it was, we could, we could have picked the easiest route. And George was like, no, I want Gary Russell. He's the best one in the division. I want to fight him. I want to match myself against the best because in order to be the best, I have to beat the best. And you know what? We, it, it didn't, if we fell short that night, but he gained valuable experience. Unfortunately with Jesus Rojas, we know what happened there, but he won the fight, right. didn't win the title. So that just added more fuel. It added more uh, desire into him because he's known all the hard work he's put in, but it just wasn't being finalized with a belt around his. So when that Tevin Farmer fight came, and look, I told him, look, I talked to him and his team, and I said, are you sure you want Tevin Farmer? You know, his style, it's a little slippery. It's a little slick. Maybe we could fight Renel Alvarado or Cancio. The fight hadn't fought. The fight hadn't happened. I said, Cancio and Al- the, the winner of Cancio and Alvarado, who you've beaten both in a world title fight, if you win that, then you unify with Tevin Farmer. And he's like, Robert, I want Tevin Farmer. I want Tevin Farmer, and I want Tevin Farmer. Mm. Mm. It goes back to what I said. When a fighter's confidence is 100%, you got to support that. You, you you like that. You, you, you see that desire. You see that I, I, I won't be beat. 
it gives you all the trust. You, you have all the confidence in the world. And I know Jojo. I mean, I've, I, since day one. So it's like, okay, went and got the fight done. Obviously, after the cut, I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen here? They tremendous job by Ben Lira. And Jojo won the world title, you know, fulfilled that dream. So that was very fulfilling for us at Golden Boy uh, to see that father and son accomplish what they set out many years ago to do, you know, to become that world champion, to become right. that person. And Jojo's one of those guys that now, you know, when, when you win, or when your mentality is already strong, but when you win a world title, a lot of times you take it to another level and that's Jojo Diaz. Um, give all credit to Tevin Farmer. I debuted Tevin Farmer. Mm. I debuted Tevin Farmer and it's a kid that, you know, through the years would call me and say, Hey, give me another shot. Give me another fight. And this is before he got signed with the Bella. He lost like, you know, three or four fights. And it was like, I don't know, kid. And, and really, and I've told him this, I didn't think he was going to make it. Not, right. not a world champion. I didn't think he would make it to the top 15. Right. Based right. on what I saw in his debut and based on what I saw in a few fights, but he did hard work and dedicated himself and believed in himself Right. That, you know, even before he won the world title, I saw him fight a couple of times and I'm like, man, you really brought it up. <laughs> hey, props to you, man. And I remember he called me. He's like, Robert, I just want to buy my mom a house. I'll never forget those words. Mm. He called me and said, I just want to buy my mom a house. And this is before he was even in the rankings. And I was like, keep working hard, man. Keep working hard. And right. don't let nobody tell you you can't. And to see him win a world title was like, you know, even though we had nothing to do with it, it, it was like, that's the beauty of boxing again, you know? And right. it's like, you can't tell somebody they can't do something because if their mind's set to it, they can. And to see him want the rematch, that's that's just a fighter. And then and, and absolutely, I think it'll be another great, great fight. Uh, but I obviously have to go with my guy. Our guy, you know, is is not going to lose his belt after all this hard work. And... <laughs> After that, the mandatory, and after that, hey, let's start unifying. But you know what? We'll take it one by one. I'm just very proud of JoJo. Absolutely, absolutely. Another guy you guys uh, work with who uh, I absolutely love watching this guy fight because, uh, you know, if you wanted to put him on every week, I'd watch. I mean, he's never in a boring fight. Um, Azat? What's it? <laughs> Azat, Azat Hovanesian? Uh, Hovanesian is great, but I'm, I'm talking about um, uh, Kanju, man, the, the the kid from China. Oh. Yeah, I mean, every yes, fight yes, he's yes, in is yes. unbelievable. But I know, I know he's having a tough time getting out of China again with 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 the, tra with the travel ban. He's in Thailand. Oh, he's in Thailand. He's in Thailand. Oh. Actually, um, even before the ban, um, he flew to Thailand. Well, I don't know if he went back to China, but before the ban, before the lockdown, when all this started happening, he was programmed to fight here in the States. He was going to be on our April 25th card in Indio, defending his title against another Golden Boy fighter, Emilio Sanchez. Mm -hmm. And he had to go to Thailand because in order to get to the States, he had to be 14 days outside of China in quarantine, basically. Right. And once those 14 days would have gone by he was going to fly to Miami, meet up with Pedro and start training for the fight. And then obviously we got the news in March, everything's off, you know, we're closing down and lock. so I don't know if he went um, from Thailand back to China or stayed in Thailand training. Um, I haven't checked up on that, but yes, very exciting. But not only that, a great kid, mm. a great kid. I was at uh, his last fight in China and in his hometown, Fuzhou, Fuzhou, 
and tremendous attendance. The fight's over. He won. Um, we're in the hotel having dinner and he auctioned off his gear and some gloves and it sold right there at the dinner. It was a big uh, salon, a big room. And he got all the money and donated to a, a little girl who loved boxing, but was very poor. And he, he had already invited him, the little girl and the family to the fights. But then when he auctioned off the gloves and auctioned off his robe and donated all the, you know, the proceeds to the little girl and the family, I, I walked up to him and I said, what was that all about? He goes, I remember, I remember when I started, when I was, you know, through difficult times. Mm, wow. And that for a young fighter, right? it's just, you know, it's rare, it's rare, but it was so touching. And it, it just like, I said, keep it up. It's bigger than boxing. I said, you could be, you know, the, the role model, what you can do and, and the message you can send, it's bigger than just what you do in the ring. But he's a tremendous, I mean, he says, I, I, I wasn't gifted with power, but he makes up with it with the amount of punches he throws. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liken it. I mean, I, you know, I grew up watching fights, and in, in the early 80s, there was a middleweight, Frank the Animal Fletcher, who, like, had no power, yeah. but every yeah. every fight he just came and he just chucked punches until non-stop, either, non-stop. either he won or, or he lost, but he threw punches, you know, round after round. I remember him, and I, I think he fought uh, James Hardrock Green, oh, and, and there was a... Those were just, those were, I mean, these guys were characters and personalities and Wilfred Scipion and all yes. those guys. I mean, it was just so fun to watch, you know? Right. And, and Kanju was like, just like that, man. Like, he's like must-see TV. He's just like, you know. And every, if you notice after every round and he walks back to his corner, he smiles. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's just incredible. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, you just got a hit and then been throwing punches and you're coming back smile. He enjoys what he does. And he literally, you could see it. Who else is going to smile? <laughs> yeah. I, love, I, I can't get enough of that guy. I, I definitely looking forward to his next fight, but uh, another great fighter you, you have on the roster who, uh, you know, is, is another must see fighter who, you know, everyone's kind of fallen in love with is uh, Virgil Ortiz uh, junior, just, you know, one of the most exciting prospects in the sport in a in a loaded welterweight division, so uh, so how do how do you guys see the next year or so playing out for for Virgil? I think the next year you'll see him fighting for a world title, and not only that, winning it. Virgil is very special. He's a kid who's very quiet but hardworking. That's that's look that's a trait that we definitely look at. And it as much as there's so many talented out there, uh, dedication and, and and discipline doesn't normal or at times doesn't go hand in hand with, with talent. And that's something that's very important because look, we've, we've seen it time and time again, the Panchito Bojados and to us, Frank, Frankie Gomez, Mm. such a talented kid, um, you know, coming off his biggest win on a pay-per-view undercard of Canelo over Mauricio Herrera and then disappears. Nobody ever saw him again, you know, and Freddie Roach or nobody ever saw him again. And it's like, what's going on? I mean, you had that, the world in your hands and, and able to change your life. But Virgil is one of those kids that for a hobby, he, he runs, he loves to run, you know? And then he's just a kid that we've, it, it all depends. I like to take it fight by fight and, and how you perform on that fight, whether it, it, it was sluggish or what, for whatever reasons you came down with a cold or something. Okay. Move on to the next fight. But Virgil, every test that he's been given, 
he's passed with flying colors. Mm. You know, he's knocked out two former world champions with Salgado, who knocked out Linares in the first round. Right. And and Mauricio Herrera. Right. You know, Mauricio Herrera right. told me after, like, dude, you didn't tell me you hit that hard. I mean, man, I thought you you, you loved me or something. You know, it was like, uh, I didn't know you hit that hard. Thank God he hasn't hit me. But, what did I know, do to you? He, exactly. And then Orozco, you know, he knocked out Orozco. Yeah, who went on the distance with Jose Ramirez. I mean, right. this is a kid that, you know, he's 15 and all, 50 knockouts. He's still very young. But I think in about a year's time, as he matures and gets those rounds, he'll be ready to fight anybody in the division. I mean, he, he's made mention that, hey, in a couple of years, I want to fight Spence. That's his ambition. He doesn't just want to fight this guy, win a world title. He wants to beat the, the guys. He wants to be champions. And that's the making of a great fighter. Absolutely. Absolutely. A um, couple more champs that you guys have. Uh, Patrick Teixeira, really, you know, kind of, uh, that was, you know, he, he wasn't supposed to win that fight. It was a really gutsy win over Carlos Adamas in, in Vegas last November. Overcame cuts and some uh, huge shots to to drop Adamas and beat him on a close but uh, but fair, unanimous decision. Um, what, what are your plans for uh, for Patrick? So Patrick is a kid we've had for a few years. Uh you know, a similar, similar to a Shukan. He throws a lot of punches. Right. Um, maybe not a big puncher, but just throws a lot of punches, conditioning. You know, he lost uh, on, uh, his biggest fight when, when he fought Curtis Stevens. But it was how he came back after and, and, and just started working and working. You know, he had a very tough, difficult fight that he made look easier with Gallimore um, and, and really shined there and told me, hey, this kid has something. But when it came with the Adamas fight, obviously it was an important fight and eliminator that later became for the Fledge full title. It was a fight that they said, yes, we'll fight him. And I remember talking to his manager and his team and it was like, hey, the, work the body, work the body. Uh, I had reason to believe Adamas struggled with weight. I said, in the later rounds, it'll pay off. But keep your distance because this guy can hit, he can right. punch. So just be careful. And he did just that. I mean, he, he stayed the distance, kept them out at, at bay and worked the body, worked the body. And, and, you know, when he hurt him, he threw the cup. His conditioning was great. Right. And yeah, he overcame the cuts. I mean, sometimes that's where you learn a lot from the fighter, but he's a kid right now that now mentally, I mean, the first world champion in Brazil in 16 years since Popo Freitas, he, he loves, and he hasn't been able to enjoy it because of the lockdown but he loves being the world champion and it's going to be very, very hard. In fact, a couple of di maybe about a week ago, he sent an Instagram video and it was posted on golden boy. He has his Brazilian national soccer Jersey and he has a mandatory to an Argentinian, Brian Castano. And that fight was scheduled for April 25th. Obviously um, one of the cards that got canceled, but he sent a message. He said, Hey, Castano, I'm training. <laughs> and I'm staying ready. I hope you're doing the same because you're not going to escape me. It's going to be another victory for Brazil over Argentina. Oh, that, that's like a great soccer. rivalry. Yeah, it's a great rivalry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he put him on notice. Uh, we haven't heard from Cassano, obviously. Uh, you know, we, I don't know if he follows social media or what, but, you know, I know he's probably in Argentina under the lockdown as well. But once we're green-lighted, uh, we, we got to reschedule that fight and hope that it, you know, it should be a very good fight. I had Castano beating Lara, so... We know that Patrick's going to have his handful. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a big Castaño fan. I've been following him since uh, since the amateurs. He's really, I mean, I think he was the only one to beat. Uh, uh, Spence. Oh, yeah, he beat Spence and he beat um, mm-hmm. Derevyanchenko. He was the only one to beat Derevyanchenko mm-hmm. in the World Series of Boxing. And that was a great fight. Um, so, yeah, a big big Castaño fan. That would be one hell of a fight, him and Teixeira. Wow, that's a yeah, fight. N- yeah. Not, I mean, they could, uh, the, the punch stats might go up because uh, <laughs> they both throw a lot of punches. Well, in Brazil, Argentina, too. I mean, you got to, I mean, uh, I forget what. I think we'll have Pele, Pele and Maradona there as guests. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a, that's a great fight. Um, another fight, another champ you guys have who's uh, I was a little surprised to see you guys signed him because you don't really see uh, straw weight or minimum weight fighters uh, fighting over here in the states unless they're they're Mexican. But um, now I hope I don't uh, mess up the product. It's like Chayafon Moonsri. Is that is Moonsri? Uh-huh. Moonsri, yeah. Fifty four and oh, 18 KOs. I mean, that's that's a hell of a record. So what what are the plans you guys have for him? What matchups are you looking at for him? He was also scheduled on the April 25th, uh, making a defense. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see a lot of world title fights that night, but uh, we're excited for him to debut. I mean, we've had a good relationship with him and his team for a while. Um, uh, you're right. We were shy at the beginning of, of, of signing that smaller weight class, but when you had Angel Acosta and Elwin Soto and, and, and some of these names, Showing the fans there's knockouts in the little weights as well. They're right. they're just as exciting. Um, you know, the the series that HBO did with, with the I think what was it, Superflies and stuff like that that right. really, really started getting noticed. Inoue being one of the smaller guys, one of the best fighters in boxing today. I think fans are now starting to realize, hey, the smaller divisions are maybe just as exciting, if not more. I mean, in our day, back, back, you know, Chiquita Gonzalez and Carvajal, right. they opened it up. Right. But since then, there's been some great fighters and great fights that we've missed because they're the smaller weight class and sometimes they're unknown and it's not fair. But this kid has the best record in boxing at 54-0, and regardless of what Floyd says. You know, he's 54-0. and <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we're excited for him to fight here in the States and show the world. I mean, you know, everybody from the the organization, WBC, Mauricio personally has told me, man, this kid could fight. He could mm. fight. He's just a master in there. So I'm excited to see him up close in person. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him too. Um, going going to the opposite end of the spectrum, you guys also signed a, a, a heavyweight prospect who a lot of people kind of have their eye on, uh, Arslanbek uh, Mahmoudov. Um, blasted out uh, Sam Peter, former uh, WBC heavyweight champion in December. Quite a specimen. Uh, how are you guys looking to move him and, 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 and getting him going? He's 10 and 0, 10 knockouts. Yeah, he was going to be on the Canelo undercard in May, mm-hmm. making his U.S. debut. Um, this is a kid that with our partner, Avaya the Tiger, Camilo Stefan, we said, look, he just needs to be shown. He needs to be seen. Whoever sees him is going to be like, wow, I want to see more of him. Right. So there's no need to uh, do that long buildup and, and, and take him to 20 and 0, 20 knockouts. This is a kid that has the experience from the amateurs. You know, he beat uh, he beat Neon, um, Nistor, who in himself knocked out Anthony Joshua. So this is a kid that two or three fights. He's already in the rankings, top 15 in the world, two or three fights, and hey, he's ready to face any of the, the big names in the division. So we're excited. He's a specimen. He looks like somebody out of one of these 
Game of Thrones or, or you know, <laughs> like a superhero. Movies yeah. Or, but yeah, I mean, the guy looks all that, but he could fight. I mean, because right. look, we've seen them that they look the part, but can they fight? Most importantly, and he could fight because he's proven it 10 and 0 with 10 knockouts. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see him. You know, you got you got a number of other prospects. I'll try and go cut a rapid fire here. So Beck, Beck the bully, uh, Beck Tamir, was it Melakuziov? He's uh, you know, wow. former, former, wow. yeah, former silver medalist. Wow, great amateur. exciting! I'm, yeah. I get goosebumps when I see him. He's <laughs> fun to watch. He's another one that just wants to get the gloves on and smiles. Uh, he wanted to fight Kovalev. He wanted to fight Kovalev April 25th. He said, "Hey, I'll fight him." I said, "Nah, are you guys serious?" They said, "Yes, we're serious." You know, but we couldn't get that fight done, and and he's ready. He's ready to fight the top names. He's already in the. He's only five and zero. Oh. Right. Uh, four knockouts, but he holds a WBA international belt and he's in the top 15. And this is a kid that because of his amateur experience, because of his power, um, his strength, he's going to move quickly. Um, I mean, he, he wants to fight for a world title before 10 fights. So, and I, and I could see that happening because even in the fight, look, he's a strong guy. He's been knocking guys out in the first round, but in the fight he fought against Von Alexander and went the distance. He showed me that he does train and does his, uh, conditioning because when you start knocking guys out in the first round, think everybody's going to fall in the first round. You start, you stop the running, you stop the conditioning, right. you stop thinking, you I don't need height. this. Right. I, exactly. But he went 10 rounds and even in the 10th round, he was still moving. And then it was, I mean, it was impressive because he got the experience. Now Vaughn had just beaten an undefeated kid from another promoter, uh, a fight before. So it wasn't like, okay, he's a veteran that hasn't done anything. Right. He's a veteran that just beat a guy who was like 10 and 0 and was a top amateur. Right. So that was a significant win. Uh, it was good experience that he got the rounds and hopefully people say, Hey, we'll step in with bully because that guy's he's fun to watch. Absolutely. I expect a lot of good things. Absolutely. Um, going, uh, to the junior middleweights, uh, Trevon, uh, or Trevon, I'm sorry, Travel Mazian, um, Coming off a really impressive first round stoppage of uh, Fernando Castaneda in in, in January, uh, seems like he's ready to, to step up to like a top twenty competition soon. He's a really talented kid. Love watching him fight. Very talented. Had some, uh, you know. A lot of times you hear the fans say, you know, how come they don't push this guy or that guy? Well, Travell had uh, some managerial problems for a while that held him up. Signed with another manager. Had some issues there, not to his fault, neither of them. And now it has a very good manager, very good team, trainers, corner, all brand new. And then right when that was getting ready to take off, he had uh, an injury. He had an injury. He had to have surgery. And then right after, I mean, it's it's funny because it's like, again, another one. Come on, we got to take off with him. But he had a hernia and then he had... Um, shoulder surgery. So it's been obstacles that again, only a fighter can get through because somebody else would say, you know what? Throw in the towel, tremendous talent, very good kid, strong, reminds me a lot. And it's funny because we were at turning stone one day and I told him, you know what, Travell, you remind me a lot of Tommy Hearns. Mm. Maybe it's, you know, the physique and the power. And he, he said, let me show you a picture of my grandfather. And he pulled out a picture and not, it wasn't Tommy. It wasn't Tommy. 
but you could swear it was Tommy's brother. Wow. They look so much alike that I started laughing. I'm like, oh my God, this is too much coincidence. And I think he talked to Tommy after because Hearns was in attendance and, and I think he showed him the picture. But yes, Travel Maison, tremendous kid, uh, exciting. You know, he was calling out Mungia when, when Mungia was still at 54. He said, look, we have a common opponent. I knocked him out in one. It took you uh, distance or you knocked him out later. Let's do this, Mungia. Obviously now, you know, with the difference in division, but uh, Travel is going to crack the top 15. And hopefully, you know, once we get going, he should crack the top 10. And, and then it's just a matter of time. No doubt, no doubt. Similarly, yeah, Speedy Rashidi Ellis, another guy kind of under the radar, but really uh, impressive prospect. You know, two really good wins over Eddie Gomez. Um, you know, I, I assume similar program, just looking to step him up, get him into title con- contention soon, right? Yes, Rashidi's tremendous talent. Another very good kid, very disciplined. I mean, through through this pandemic, I've uh, been getting <laughs> videos of him training from his team and he just needs that shot. You know, he also had uh, an injury that put him out for a while. Um, he had uh, one fight. He was in, we were in Vegas and after making weight, he was rushed to the hospital and there was, you know, an abnormality in his heart. And obviously the fight didn't happen. And he actually had to stay behind. Um, all that's been clear. He's fine. He's a hundred percent healthy. This is a kid that's been in camp with Canelo and Canelo loves him. Um, because obviously he's a hard worker and a very good, talented fighter. Uh, it's a matter of time. I mean, I think once we get going, he was programmed, actually, on the Virgil Ortiz undercard uh, for March 28th. He was going to have a fight, and then after that, just to get him back in the groove and his timing and everything, we were going to find the biggest fight out there for him. Um, obviously, that was one of the canceled fights, the March mm. 28th. Mm. Wow, it's frustrating. Yeah, really talented kid. I like watching him fight. Staying in the welterweight division, uh, one of the more colorful uh, personalities on the Golden Boy roster, Blair the Flair Cobbs. Now, another boxing writer, uh, Rafe Bartholomew and I were were, were on a a podcast together, and we said, man, the dream fight would be Blair the Flair against Nico Macias. We're like, come on, Rob, you got to make that one. (laughs) (laughs) That would be exciting. That would be exciting. Nico, Nico, I mean, is such a fun kid. They're both, you know, one would be wooing the crowd and one would be with the rooster and then, oh, man, that would be crazy before the fight actually the bell rings. But um, I haven't heard from Nico. I mean, obviously, uh, after the Soto Caras fight, uh, there was some surgery. I think he broke his hand, uh, broken nose. He had surgery, and I haven't really heard anything from him, from his team, but uh, definitely somebody to watch out for because he is fun and watching. And Blair... What can I say, man? That guy, I've told him, I've told media, this is a kid that after he steps out of the ring of winning a fight, he can go straight into Hollywood and go do a Mad Max sequel and, and, and be you know either the good guy or the bad guy. It doesn't matter. You just want to see more of him inside and outside the ring. Um, but yeah, I think you know Blair is coming along. He's had some good fights, exciting, fun, because he's got dropped, he's gotten up, he's won by knockout. That's what is fun about him, you know, and yes. and he's 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 asking for the big fights. Uh, one of the fights I was looking at doing is possibly him against Eddie Gomez, and and mm-hmm. Eddie's, you know, make or break type fight. And Eddie's a kid that we've had since debut, and you know, he's had some ups and downs, but he's very talented, right? And obviously, it, it, it's a fight that 
You know, he knows a lot of times that's when they're most dangerous. When that back's against the wall and saying, this is make or break and I'm going to bring everything to the, to the ring. And that's where Blair has to be a hundred percent. And Blair's made it. No, no, he hasn't kept quiet. Hey, I'll fight Virgil Ortiz. I'm going to knock him out. So there's, there's some good fights out there for, for the fans to, you know, once we get going. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Uh, great Thursday night fight him and Gomez or Macias. Those would be mm-hmm. great fights. Great mm-hmm. fights. Um, Hector uh, Tanahara, the real tall lefty, lightweight, who uh, you know seems he, he wins pretty easy, no matter who you put him in there with. Real good amateur fighter. Uh, you looking to to test him with a top twenty uh, opposition next year or so? Absolutely, he's won a, a little belt with the WBC, uh, you know, international belt, and and he's a kid that he's ready. He's ready. You know, we a couple fights back, we had a good offer, but it wasn't the time. I think the time's now. In fact, coincidentally, Kurt, I spoke to uh, his manager and trainer, Robert Garcia, earlier today about him, and he's, he's you know, staying ready, staying fit, and hopefully we can get him a big fight soon. Yeah, yeah. he's the Very right. talented kid. Very good kid, too. I know he and uh, Virgil came up together, right? Those, it's funny. They're, they're, yeah. Their styles yeah. are very different, but they came up together. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, last but not least, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, Sinisa Estrada, who had, you know, like I said, one of the fights of the year with Marlon Esparza last year, one of my favorite fights to watch. Um, what's next for her? We see maybe a rematch with Marlon. I've seen through the internet, you know, them going back and forth that they're willing to fight and, and they want to fight. I mean, obviously Marlon wants to fight to, to avenge the loss. And Nisha says, yeah, I'll give her the rematch, but it has to be at 108. I haven't talked to both teams since I've seen that. Um, but I have talked obviously before we all got locked down and everything through this. Um, Sinisa was looking into fight for another world title and we were working on it, um, in another division. And I really wanted Marlene and I want Marlene to fight for a world title at 112 and become a champion there. And then if they're past me down the road, both as champions in different divisions, so be it. You know, we can work it out then. But I think eventually this could be into a, a trilogy. You know, they could fight right. two or three times. So but they're going to be exciting. There's good when there's bad blood, and that's legitimate <laughs> bad blood. Right, the fights are good. I mean, it, it, you know, Pride gets them that extra level, and they fight their ass off. And those two girls made me very proud to be a part of, of, of history of them fighting each other. I mean, it was a three minute per round female fight and, right. and it was one of the best fights I've seen of, of females. And, and it really took it to that level and both of them should be proud. I mean, neither of them should put their head down that they put it on a different stage and, and the diva and the diva, you know, Franchon Cruz, same right. thing, right. you know, she put, she put boxing you know, and, and there's the Clarissa, no disrespect to them, but these type of fights that she had, like with Alejandra and, and Cornejo, created excitement. Franchon is very exciting to watch because right. she goes in there and wants to just brawl, you know, and, 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 and throw and throw down. Yeah, the last fight was pretty crazy. She, you know, she she literally lost her hair in that fight. That was a, that was a really crazy fight. And, and have you seen Have you seen the the t shirts that she she had made? No. F the hair. I want my belts. <laughs> I want my title. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I guess you know with with that one too because uh, her opponent uh, tested positive for uh, PEDs. So that 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 result. I mean, I thought she won the fight fair and square to begin with. I thought she got you know. Mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. that decision should have went to her, but. 
but uh, but at least it, you know it doesn't go as a as an L on her record now. So yeah, looking forward to seeing. Yeah, they reversed it. No contest, and the WBO uh, gave her back the belt. And obviously, we're still pending the WBC's you know final verdict. But if not, it's like look, you have the WBO. Let's go. Once you know whoever the fight, the champion at WC, or if it stays vacant, then let's go get that one back. And you know she has tremendous potential. She has a uh, great following, great attitude. I, I she posted a video the other day singing. Um, <laughs> she designs her outfits and her clothes. I mean, there's just so much, and, and she's a great speaker and 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 very. It, she motivates you. In fact, um, no joke. And I've told her. We hadn't signed her. She came in to fight Maricela Cornejo, who we had signed uh, for the world title. And when we were doing the fighter meetings, I, I'm there listening because, you know, to, when our fighters come in, I add a little bit here and there. And I was just interested in listening to her. Mm-hmm. And when she finished talking, I was like, wow, this this girl has a story. And, and she's been through some stuff. And that interested me in the fight as well. Not only because our fighter was fighting in the opportunity to win a world title. And it would have been our first champion uh, female fighter to, to win a world title. But, you know, I, I was interested in seeing the outcome of the fight because of Franchon's fighter interview and Franchon won. She wasn't signed to us, but we spoke over the next few months and, and we were able to sign her and we're very happy to have her on our stable as one of our champions. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah, man. I mean, listen, there, there's a ton of other interesting fighters on your roster as well. But uh, you know, we only have you know. I don't want to keep you all day on a Saturday. So, no, nah, thank you, Kurt. Thank <laughs> you, and uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Anytime. Uh, look, uh, we got plenty of hours right now during our situation. <laughs> I just, you know, we can do this almost every day. But uh, just a message to everybody: you know, hang tight, stay safe, and. We'll be back sooner. You know, it's, it's, if something boxing teaches us is uh, not every round's easy. Sometimes you get knocked down. You just got to get up and wait to that final bell and have your hand raised. And this is just another battle that we face in our lives that we have to come out with our hand raised. You know, you just we got to do it together. Stay safe and stay inside. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really appreciate your time, Robert. Take care, man. You too. Take care. All right, Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and ringtv.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Robert Diaz for taking the time out to speak with me. Really enjoyed it. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast and also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast at ringtv.com that will also feature quotes and background on the interview with Robert. Until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for? 